Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. Today, your toaster's thinking about itself again. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Seth Nelson, and as always, I'm here with my good friend, Pete Wright. Separating from a high-conflict partner brings with it significant baggage. Not only are you dealing with your attorney more than you might otherwise have to, but you're piling on the fear and abuse of a separation in conflict. Shannon Jenkins is hosting Starting Over with Shannon, a podcast dedicating to conquering challenges and doing the work of inner healing and brings to the show her own experience of high-conflict separation. Shannon, welcome to the toaster. Thank you. Thanks for the welcome. Shannon is coming to us from Switzerland. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. We we we've been looking I mean the people who are listening can't hear this, but we've been looking at what's out your window and we all want to go there. Uh because that's a dreamy setup you have right now. I feel like we open with you're in Switzerland because at some point we're gonna talk about how you ended up in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Uh because your separation was a ride. Yeah. And not the most fun, I gotta say. No, doesn't sound like it. Doesn't sound like it. How yeah. do you start when you're talking about the experience you went through to to get you uh, in a marriage that ended up being leading to a high conflict separation? How do you start that conversation? It's a difficult one, but I often start with the typical love bombing because I think, you know, I was young and dating in London where I was studying at university and I met what I thought to be the man of my dream, somebody very exuberant, charming, intellectually intelligent, loyal, devoted, adventurous, all of these things. He sounds awful. Sounds terrible. Yeah, I know. Red flags Jeez. all over the place. Totally. They don't exist, what you're describing. <laughs> Unicorn. <laughs> Something well, this, wrong. This, but this is exactly what I was like. I mean, call it naive, of course. I look back in hindsight and go, yeah, so unfortunately, that was the case. Uh, but yeah, I, I didn't see a lot of what happened. I didn't see it coming. You know, it took a long time to get to that point. So I think the way that my life unfolded over the next two years, which actually wasn't a long period of time in comparison to some stories I hear where, you know, the marriages have gone on for a lot longer. Uh, For me, it was just some kind of whirlwind romance that ended up with a pretty hard fall, to say the least. From the perspective of people listening to this, and we're going to make some assumptions, all kinds of people listen to this, to these conversations. But from from our perspective, we want to make sure that what they get out of this are what are we looking for? What are some of the signals that that they need to watch out for that they might be in a relationship like this? Because as I'm sure you are not alone uh, in in this high conflict divorce space. And then we'll talk about the legal stuff, the legal story uh, at, at you know, on the back end of this show, we'll let Seth Seth chime in. So you're in uh, this relationship that sounds very dreamy. Of course, it is the stuff of uh, sociopathic movies uh, and and horror shows. How did, how did you get to the point of of realizing, oh my goodness, this? What are those signals that that you got to that you think this is this is not right? I think what is different in my situation in comparison to other stories I've heard was that. I did not have the vocabulary for personality disorders throughout the whole of our relationship. And it was only until, well, about six months afterwards that I was on a date with a surgeon who was 
training to be a psychiatrist who knew those things in depth. I think I recounted about 15 seconds of my story, not more. And he was like, this guy sounds like a narcissistic sociopath and probably everyone can see it but you. And I remember just going home and Googling the crap out of that term and (laughs) just like fell into some kind of hole for hours as you do. Now, Shannon, I'm not trying to make light of your situation at all, but yeah, I used that same pickup line when I was dating. When they described their ex, when they were talking <laughs> about always, it, sounds like always a, describe their ex as a malignant sociopath. Yeah, That's yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, you got to just agree with what you hear, Pete. You know. Okay, so what did you learn when you Googled the shit out of that term? Significant amounts of control. That was probably what I didn't see coming. What I didn't see in the early days, but then there were certain things like getting us to move from London to Australia. I became, I was pregnant. It was unexpected, but then it all felt like I was following in his footsteps a little bit, agreeing to move to Australia when agreeing to put my studies on hold, agreeing to stay at home. Uh, he wanted me to stay at home for a longer period of time, but then was also not happy with sharing money. So anything that he earned was his, and there was no acknowledgement of my contribution to being at home during that time. There were off the cuff kind of remarks that I didn't know what to make of it, especially because he was very funny. I mean, he was a comedian by trade. So I, you know, there was on one occasion he would say, um, I said, I'm tired of doing all of our laundry. Like we said, this was not going to be our setup. I'm tired of doing everything at home. And he said, I might just get tired of feeding you then or feeding our son then. And there were these kinds of comments that happened more and more. And I was like, but I don't, I don't understand like what is happening right now. Wow. Yeah. I don't I don't know how to, I don't know how to put that in a box that fits in my, in my brain. (laughs) Shannon, Pete is rarely, if ever speechless. I might get tired of feeding you or our child, Seth. Yeah. A couple of month old child. Pete, what you just experienced, which was jaw-dropping if someone was watching us record this podcast, right? Literally, your jaw dropped. That is the flavor of what so many people going through divorce deal with that people that they talk to don't believe. And that's where all the gaslighting starts. Like, no, you got to be crazy with all this stuff. And when people hear that I'm a divorce attorney and they say, oh my God, you must have some crazy stories. And I say, yes, I can tell you from the last two weeks. It's not like I have to go back two years. Yeah, right. And I say something like, so by way of example, it's not uncommon for me to hear a client tell me that they gave up their career, their studies, they moved across the country. And the next thing they know, their spouse is saying, you know what? I'm controlling all the money and I'm getting tired of feeding you and our child. That I didn't get the jaw drop that you did because I hear these things daily. Right? Yeah, yeah. Which gets us to the to these, I mean, those those signals, which sounds like, I mean, hearing the way you talk about it, Shannon, it just seems like he he was able to say those things naturally sort of effortlessly he wasn't making a dig which makes it all the more sort of creepy like a better word again creepy (laughs) sociopathic yeah it was definitely the coldness i think that that was so disconcerting really you know from somebody who presented as being very charming and warm and And what happened when you told your friends or your your parents or your whoever you confided in about that 
so much confusion. I mean, probably this classic cognitive dissonance where it's like, well, this isn't adding up. You know, I don't, I don't know what to make of this right now. Um, and naturally making excuses. I think maybe you've just had a baby. You've just moved to the other side of the world. He's just started a couple of new companies. There's probably a lot of stress. And of course, that's what I was doing as well. So I would be having those conversations, but I obviously didn't know what to make of it. And and being in that vulnerable position, having a young child, being on the other side of the world from my family, I wanted to make things work. And I think it was only after a certain number of months where I thought, I, fortunately, I do say there was something inside me, let's call it some smidgen of self-worth, though undoubtedly he was trying to beat that out of me with a lot of derogatory remarks and there was something that said, no, I deserve more than this. We deserve more than this. And I can have a better life, even though that felt frightening to take the leap of calling this quits, knowing that I had no money, knowing I had no job, no career, no completed studies. I'm I'm curious. I, and I, I don't mean to make this just sort of a, a pragmatic question, but you were so you were living in London. Are you an Australian national or both Australian and British. Okay. And so what was the motivation to move to Australia? Was that a was that his idea? I think it was, yeah. And the, the thing that startled me was not even remembering how it became my idea. He would present it as my idea, you know, like and and very much encouraging that this could be the best thing for us when I think a lot of people are like, but are, are you sure? Like is that what you actually really want? And over time I thought Okay, yeah, maybe that is what I want. There was definitely a link with uh, having an abortion, and that sounds really brutal in hindsight of whether we keep our son or not. And that was linked to we will keep our son if, or our baby, I didn't know son at the time, if we move to Australia. Otherwise, I don't want to go through with this. Wow. Okay, well, and that that ties up some loose ends in my head about this story. Like there was still, or even that, sort of early in the relationship, there is still the um, that that sort of impetus for control and, you know, pushing towards such a significant move, putting you in that sort of subservient place of having to make that decision is it, that it, it's like hostage taking in a way. Yeah. And I later learned, Seth, maybe this isn't surprising from the stories that you hear, but this sort of came up throughout legal, the legal procedure a couple of years later that he was actually under investigation for financial crimes in the UK. (laughs) And there would have been a reason to have wanted to leave. None of this (sighs) surprises me. So, and I'm not making light of this at all, Shannon. Let me be very clear is that when you deal with people such as this, first and foremost, you have to understand they only care about themselves. They have no room in their mind nor capabilities to have empathy. It's about control. It's about them. And that's it. And it's very similar to Pete, when I talk to someone who is in a relationship with an alcoholic and they say, but what about this? What if I just do this? And I always say, no, he's an alcoholic. No, he's an alcoholic. Like you just have to beat it into their head that you are trying to put a rational solution to an irrational problem. 
because in Shannon's case, there's no rational solution to the problem. And you're just going to open up that can of worms and they're going to keep coming. And those worms are going to be like a clown car with clowns coming out of it. It just keeps coming and coming and coming. And right when Shannon, correct me if I'm wrong, you think, oh my God, there's nothing else that could be even crazier than this. Yeah. Then it's, mm, he's under investigation for financial crimes in the UK. And that's why he wanted to get out of Dodge. Yeah. Well, of course he is, right? At this point, of course he is. Right. How do you get to the point then of of realizing you're in a position that you now need to get out of? What is what is the a- approach to telling somebody like this it's time for a divorce? I think it, that it was quite hasty. I will say, I think in hindsight, maybe for people listening, if they're in similar situations, it would be to be a little bit more calculated perhaps in how to leave. I think it got to the point where I just couldn't, I couldn't cope anymore. And I think there was an argument one night and I said, I'm done. I'm just so done. And I just packed my bags and I left. It didn't end as easy as that. And I think that's what surprised me. We weren't married at the time, though in Australian law, there's not really a distinction between marriage and de facto relationships. We still could have the same legal fight as such with the separation, divorce, finances, child custody and and so forth. But he did not want to let me go. And I think that's when I started seeing more threats. I said, I wanted to move back to London, just like we promised. We said we'd be going here just for one year. Then I'd finished the fourth year of my studies. I'd done three years already in London and Paris. And he said, no, if you do that, I'll be reporting you to the police and getting our son placed on the airport watch list. You can't go. And it would be this back and forth between nasty and nice. And I think that's what was so unsettling and anxiety inducing really, because it was like threat. And I very much felt the darkness and something that made me fearful of him. And then it would quickly shift into charming jokes, funny. Don't worry. I'll always support you too. I'll pay you this amount per week. I'll give you access to a car. And And then the next. So it makes you think you're losing your mind. Right. And the next sentence is, and you're going to be out on the street with our child and I don't give a shit. Yeah, it was it was always back and forth. So I felt very, very unstable, I think, in terms of my own sense of vulnerability and safety and so forth. Okay, so hasty. What does that look like? You say you're going to leave. Let's let's walk through some of the, the practical aspects of the separation. I said I was going to leave and I realized I had to go. As you okay. do. Hey, hasty number one. <laughs> Shit, I hate it. I when, have no. I hate it no when that net. happens. I'm, <laughs> Why did I? Jump? I'm leaving and I can't find the door. God damn it! <laughs> oh my god! Can I say it's actually really good to laugh because I think looking back, this was bloody awful, yeah. and then actually it's nice to think, oh gosh, I'm in such a different position, and this can actually be pretty funny. But yes, I had nowhere to go, and realized he was not okay with extending the rent on the place that we had been living in. He'd bought somebody somewhere else. And then he said, well, I'll be kind to you and I'll let you stay on an airbed with you. You and our son can have the airbed (laughs) on the floor until you get yourself sorted. Of course, I didn't have any money. He actually made a lot more money than I realized too with companies with offshore accounts and all sorts. You always make more money when you're doing financial fraud. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on, Shannon. That's, that's rule number one, Shannon. If you're lying about it, you're making more money. I've never had a guy do financial fraud and be like, I'm just losing my ass on these deals. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm the worst fraud fraudster ever. I'm terrible at this. 
<laughs> oh man. Oh, so naive. Goodness me. <laughs> Just keep saying you're in a better place yeah. right now. It's okay. Shannon, yes. we're joking yeah, out yeah, of love, yeah. not out of totally, anything else. You know? Otherwise, we'd be crying. Right. So, no, <laughs> I'm I'm laughing with you. It's great. So yeah, nowhere to go. A sweaty airbed on the floor, not knowing what to do. And then, fortunately, I will say that the Australian government are quite supportive, and that I had enough through government payments per week. And through supplement child support from my ex, which didn't last very long, I've got to say, and that was very much bought by me, full honesty, continuing to have sex with him and be kind to him. And I'm sure this is a very common scenario too, like not actually fully being able to separate, but then being torn between how do I get out of this and how do I provide for my six-month-old baby and me right now and not wanting to be on the streets. And let's be very clear. Yeah. That's very natural. Because we've had experts on this show that said when you're breaking up, it's as if you're breaking your brain from an addiction. So it's not uncommon to go back. Yeah. Right. It's, you know, because some people that haven't walked in your shoes or lived this similar life or have these stories are like, seriously, he says he's going to leave you penniless and homeless with your child and you don't just leave and he's putting you on an air mattress. How could you have sex with him afterwards? Like, yeah, literally. there's physical chemical reactions in your brain that cause you to make those decisions until you can start breaking away from that. It's really, really hard, especially when you're that vulnerable. Yeah. And it was, I was very much in this place where it was my nervous system was just completely dysregulated. I think I was just in this heightened state of anxiety this whole time, probably for quite a few months, I would say. Uh, until I started, I then resigned to not being able to go back to England, which was hard. You know, it, it was really difficult because that's what the agreement always was. But I said, okay, I'm going to transfer to a university here in Perth, Western Australia, finish my studies. And that's how the separation went until which point that there were a series of events like him intruding on my home, some assault and other things, suspicion of stalking, high suspicion. I mean, very high probability. You're dropping kind of a scary bullet list of things that just sort of happen in an indeterminate amount. He was assault and like this is he he became violent after the separation. More sexually, I would say. And yeah, there were quite a lot of separate incidents which were not in isolation that terrible. And I think that was another thing that I found very hard to make sense of was, oh, okay, he's making a joke about this again. The fact that I just got out the shower and I find him sitting at the kitchen table, like just reading a newspaper in first thing in the morning. And he's, I didn't even, how is he in my house? Like this is, you know, when I had been making clear measures to distance myself. So there were, there were a lot of separate events like that until one evening when I had a whole string of text messages, really vulgar sexual messages. He knew that I was dating somebody else and I didn't know what to do with this. I went to the police station for the first time and I said, I just, can you, I just want this to stop. Basically Um, this, he has our son tonight. I know he's blind drunk. He has a substance abuse problem and how can I make this stop? They referred me to some documents about getting a restraining order, family violence restraining order, so that he couldn't contact me. And I decided to go through with that. I remember that being one of the hardest decisions I ever made. And I was so nervous because 
actually he was buying my compliance even through child support payments and so on. And it got to a point where I thought I, I've just got to, I've got to stand up for myself in this because I know it's not going to stop. But then from that day that I did that, he went heavy on me and he immediately filed in the, in the family court to commence parenting proceedings. And then there were a whole string of events that happened for about an, a year and a half, two year period until which point the family court judge ruled that I had sole custody of our son and permission to relocate here to Switzerland. You come to all of these decisions, like you start down this path of standing up for yourself on a night that your former partner is blind drunk with your son. Yeah. Wow. So I want to talk through that, Pete. Yeah, would you please? Yeah. So, Shannon, I think what I heard you say was state of crisis. Your kid's not with you. You know he's not at that moment capable of caring for your son. You go to the police and they say get a restraining order. And then that's your next step. Between talking to the cops and getting a restraining order, did you happen to talk to a lawyer and say, how's this all play out? No, I think I had one appointment with a legal aid lawyer and... It was cheap. I didn't have any money. It probably cost about $30. And to be honest, I didn't get anything out of that appointment other than what I already knew online. Right. But no, I didn't have any any solid legal advice. No. Pete, you know how I will bitch about lawyers all day long. Every day, all day. <laughs> Here's the thing. And, and this is really key for our listeners to understand is when you're in a state of crisis like this, there is the immediate call 911 I'm in trouble. I need help. That's what it's there for. But also understanding if you're about to file a restraining order, what, if any impact, is that going to have on the family law court? Because they tie together and what happens in one court can influence what happens on the other. And I'm not saying Shannon did anything wrong. I do not know Australian law. Okay. In Florida, I would have said, let's file for a domestic violence injunction. That's what we're calling restraining order here. But let's also immediately file in family court because we want to do this in conjunction, run a parallel path in in Hillsborough County under the United or Unified Family Court. Sometimes the domestic violence injunction, the restraining order, will get transferred to the family court and it's all together. So it's one judge, one decision, one family. You're not going to get conflicting rulings. So there's things like that that you, these are questions to ask for our listeners out there, no matter what jurisdiction you're in, get to a lawyer and you're going to be asking these questions. If I'm going to get a restraining order and I want a divorce or never married, how does it work for child custody or visitation, whatever they call it in your jurisdiction? But these are vital questions to ask and get answers to. I'm not saying, Shannon, you did anything wrong. You're in crisis. Get the restraining order. Thankfully, though it was hell going through, you finally get your relocation and you have your child 100% of the time. Just be thinking about these things. Does does that make sense? I mean, yes, it does, definitely. And I and, and looking back, of course, it was hasty and I didn't really know what to do. And it's true. I think if I had what if I knew what I knew now, I I sure. in ways I would have act, acted different differently. So getting out of of the the country, there is a uh, what are the complications with that relocation? Did he throw up? Uh, additional barriers with you leaving Australia? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, the interesting thing was that he, so he made the initiating application in the court and that was basically to have equal time Mm -hmm. on some allegations that he did much more than he ever did in reality. But I then had an opportunity to respond to that and ask for what I wanted. And there was about a two-month window where I was like, what do I actually want? I ha- I then went to see a lawyer. So I had said, okay, I had made this application in a separate court, magistrate's court for the family violence restraining order. And I now need to deal with all of this. What do I do? I explained the whole scenario about how it was our intention to only move to Australia temporarily and that I wanted to be back in Europe. And there's a whole variety of specific bits there with me speaking French, doing international relations at university, which I couldn't use in Perth, but could use in Geneva. A whole whole series of things that made it clear that this lawyer said, how about relocation to Switzerland? And that was just music to my ears at the time. I was actually the person that I'm now with is my current fiance who I live with here, who I have a beautiful, beautiful relationship with, which is a whole nother story, of course, how you, how you can learn to trust and and so on again, after being so broken. That's on my list. (laughs) We might have to have a second show, but it's on the list. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it just makes sense because I think it's, it is very, very difficult, but I actually knew this person from actually for a longer amount of time than my ex. So there was already a a help there in terms of trust, but he lives in Switzerland too. And even though that was the start of our relationship, it was like, oh my goodness, there is an opening here for us to be together. And that just felt like just, I don't know, mind blowing to say the least. And I decided to go ahead and fight that fight. But I knew from day one, the lawyer that I instructed, she said, listen, this is not going to be a sprint. This is going to be a marathon. And if it is true, what you say about your ex-partner's character, this will be even more difficult. So I suggest you get a therapist as well and take care of yourself as best as you can. And she was absolutely right. I mean, I did not, as you sort of said earlier, Pete, I think there were so many blows that went further and further than I could ever imagine or have conjured up myself. I could not believe the amount of dirty, manipulatory tactics. tactics. Uh, it, It went far beyond what I could ever have conceived, I think. Back to school season is coming up, which it can be difficult no matter where you are in the world uh, for those going through a divorce. Uh, But it's especially true when child safety is a concern. Pete, what a show. It's it's unbelievable that we understand that there's more than just problems with alcohol out there. But on How to Split a Toaster, you know, our mission is to help people going through difficult times literally improve their relationships with themselves, even when they're dealing with extremely difficult people on the other side of that transaction. So one thing that we can definitely tell you is that Soberlink can help you navigate the back to school season in dealing with someone who is struggling with alcoholism. As you know, it's a remote alcohol monitoring technology. It's created to help keep kids safe by keeping the parents monitored to make sure they're not drinking when they have the children. So if they are, if they slip up, we can get to the kids quickly and safely. 
The, the Soberlink system includes a breathalyzer device with facial recognition built into it. It allows you to receive real-time updates from monitored co-parents anytime, anywhere, allowing for swift intervention and improved child safety. They have helped hundreds of thousands of people to document the proof of sobriety in real time for peace of mind in child custody cases. They are currently offering a free back-to-school and divorce packet. It includes a Q&A with a top divorce attorney, back-to-school checklist, communication tips, and more. And you can get it by visiting www.soberlink.com slash toaster. That's www.soberlink.com slash toaster. Thanks to Soberlink for being a valued sponsor of this show. So what are some of the roadblocks he put up to you um, trying to leave Australia other than just going to court and saying, look, I'm a great dad. I deserve 50-50. A lot of frivolous additional lawsuits. So alleging that I was actually abusive, that I had abused our son, that my mother had abused him. He got a restraining order against my mother. He tried to sue both of us in two separate courts for... Uh, damages for alleged property damage to his car and also for his business class flights across the country for some business that he thought should be on my shoulders. A lot of things that meant that I was distracted and it was very hard in terms of the demands on my time as a single mother, a new well university graduate then slash high school teacher, uh, and then the main primary law case to have coped with all of that. So it was just like flooding me in and that obviously mounted the pressure. And you can't just get on a plane and take your kid and go? No. And from very early on, he actually had uh, an ex parte hearing where, so where I was not in attendance, where he said that I was a flight risk and that I needed to go and hand our son's passport into the court. The court granted that, and that meant that our son's passport was deposited there for a period of two years until the whole case had that. So. Let's unpack that a little bit, Pete, because you're looking at me like ex parte order, right? Yeah, I mean, I I know what that means, Seth, but my cousin <laughs> in in uh, Idaho Falls has no idea. So I think for my cousin, would you please explain? Uh, happy uh, the for law. cousin in Idaho Falls. Thank you. <laughs> so ex parte simply means you go to court, you don't tell the other side. It's just well, that seems mean. It well, exactly, and the way that works, it also happens in. Um, for what Shannon did, or at least in Tampa, Florida, when I go get that domestic violence injunction or restraining order, that's an ex parte filing. I go straight to court and I file it and I say, there's a problem. I don't have time for a hearing to clear your hearing on your docket in the calendar. I need an order now. And if you get the relief you're asking for, the court will then set a hearing to hear the other side 14 days out, 20 days out, maybe it gets continued. But there's reasons why you need to go to court for what's called an ex parte order because there's no time to hear from the other side. So in a non-divorce case, think about that you got a tree on your yard, Pete, and the other side is showing up, your neighbor's showing up to cut it down. If you don't go get that order stopping that tree service guy from cutting your tree down, it doesn't matter. It's going to be done in 10 minutes. Right. Yeah. Right. So you need that quick order. So what he did, from what I'm understanding, Shannon's saying, saying, "Look, she's a flight risk about to take my kid across the 
you know, international lines, I want an order to have that passport seized so she doesn't do that. Oh, they take the passport of the kid. He doesn't care if Shannon leaves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leave, leave the kid. Right. You know, just that's horrible. So that's what an ex parte order is. And then in Australian law, or as Shannon has pointed out, it, it appears that, okay, because the court believes she was a flight risk, then we're not giving up this passport until this case is over. Now, to Shannon's credit, part of the reason I'm assuming that she was entitled to relocate is because there was nothing in Perth, Western Australia for her. Her occupation that she studied for didn't work. That's why she needed to go to Switzerland. She didn't have any support there, any real job opportunities, no money. Her life really would be better somewhere else. So all the same reasons, Shannon, that you had for being allowed to relocate were the same reasons that the court might have believed you were a flight risk. Of course. Yeah. And I and I heard from day one, look, this is standard procedure as well, which I can understand why it would be, because if roles were reversed, I would want that in place. But that was, yeah, that was very much at the start. I kind of accepted that happening. But then the way that that unfolded, so like I said before, it was the, some legal suits, but then the actions became increasingly preposterous to the extent that I think that also played in my favor in the court because while I was complying with every order that that had been made against me that I had to do X, such as hand in our son's passport to the court, being always reasonable in correspondence and so forth, he was accusing me of abuse, like I said, accusing my current partner of pedophilia, getting him and his ex-wife investigated at their work and Oh my God. It, it went on and on and on. Um, wow. Yeah. And of course, there were never any things to substantiate that with. And I think that was his downfall because while he could use all this beautiful, colorful, flowery language in, in normal terms and in comedian terms, he could get away with it and it'd be quite funny. In that circumstance, it did not work for him at all because then, of course, the judge would say, and what do you have to substantiate that? What could you have to prove that? And he had nothing. So, yeah, but it was funny, Judge. Right? right. Wasn't it funny? On the advice of yeah. counsel, it just made his check local he, jurisdiction. He made his divorce a bit. <laughs> right. Check local jurisdiction. Don't make jokes in court. <laughs> okay. I'm not giving legal advice. Talk to your lawyers. Check your local jurisdiction. Don't make jokes in court. I don't. I think we can safely assert <laughs> that maybe you don't need to check your local jurisdiction before not making jokes in court. Uh, okay, this is uh, b- bonkers, uh, but also I'm so glad to be talking to you right now. What is the current s- status of th- your relationship? Completely severed? Do you, how are, are you, I mean, you're living in Switzerland. I assume your partner is still in, or your former partner is still in Perth? Yeah. Uh, Unclear. So he recently, so it's been a year that I've been living here now, a year that the court made this decision. And about a couple of months ago, he unexpectedly announced that he's also going to move here, which I had anticipated from the early days. I said, he's fighting this fight, but I I know he has no links to Perth and he will leave as soon as as soon as, as soon I as do. he has no reason to be there. Exactly, exactly. I think it's unclear what he's doing. He's now visited. He has seen our son uh, over several weekends, but he's coming and going a lot. I don't think he knows where he's going to set up. And he has got a lot of other legal trouble, a lot of people, again, chasing him for money. I think it's 
the thing is, it was a string. It started in the US, debts and so on, the fraud, like I said, traveled him to the UK, then to Australia. And now where else can he go until it's all going to catch up with him one day? And that's what I think. It, there was a lot of... Pete's cousin's got a nice place in Idaho Falls. Idaho Falls, <laughs> if you're interested. Yeah, pass on that. Pass on that name. Um, okay. So I, I guess the the bigger question for me is the the legal obligation that you have to your former partner as father to your son. Mm-hmm. Um, say he moves to Switzerland. Does he have like visitation rights or is this just you by grace saying because you have sole custody right there's nothing else he can do to come back at you and say i want more right i guess you can always go to court if i've learned anything you can always go back to court but yeah he could try but we did register the agreement we're very particular in how we i I say we me and my current partner have played that out and we followed legal advice got it registered here at a local court in switzerland the time that he had in which he could appeal that decision has has passed. So now that is like, it's fully registered here. So you had to use the Hague Convention? No, we no, we haven't. Okay. No. Just check in. Just it's a little international law there, Pete. Yeah. That's what I'm know. doing so out there. You drop that. I don't even know what that means. What does that mean? My cousin. I mean, I know what it means. <laughs> yeah. Shannon, again. did you have to deal with the Hague Convention at all or no? No, I didn't. Okay. So the Hague Convention is an international treaty that a lot of um, countries have signed on to. And it's just for this type of thing where if a parent, which Shannon took her child to Switzerland legally with a court order allowing her to go. But if she would have gotten on the plane with the child when there was a court order saying not to, how do you get that kid back? Okay. And the Hague Convention, just thumbnail sketch here, is international law that is signed off by treaties to say, look, if this is a problem, this is how you deal with it. And it's allowing countries to work toward it. So I'm glad you didn't have that headache, Shannon. Yeah. That seems like a big yeah. deal. Yeah. Yeah. No, so I didn't I didn't have that. And then in the end, the judge who was amazing, he like he was actually hilarious. So while we can't make jokes in court, the judge can make jokes in court. Do, <laughs> do you know the rule on that, Pete? When the judge makes a joke, do you know that rule? I'll, I'll always laugh, I think. You got it. Joke. You got yeah, it. Always laugh. <laughs> May it please the court. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he I mean, it was very, very clear that he saw the true colors straight away. And it was also clear because there'd been a lot of affidavit evidence for a long period of time that would have been hard to dispute. So uh, he just went very, very hard on him. And even in the final order, he basically allowed me, he put it at my discretion for to facilitate visits, providing that he paid me back the money that he owed me, which was $50,000. And it could have been more, but I decided not to fight for any more money because I knew I was never going to get a You're cent of it, anyway. it anyway. Exactly. Yeah. So I was like, I'm not going to pay any more legal fees to fight this fight. But it, technically in the court order, it's written that until which point he has discharged his debt to me, uh, I do not have to incur any any costs related to facilitate their time together. That's that's a well-drafted order because I had a lot of legal stuff going on because it's not that he doesn't get to see the child, but she doesn't have to have any cost to do it, which means it's all on him. If he can't afford to, to figure out how to see the child, he can't see the child. You got it. Wow. The real story here. Who you are now and how did you get to be so strong? Hmm. 
That is, I do like that question. And it is obviously what I'm so about and what I'm trying to do on my podcast and what I share on my social media, because I think sometimes we think of any period of difficulty, any period that's painful, where we suffer, where there's hardship as being somehow a mistake. You know, we've, we've done something wrong. This shouldn't have happened. I, why did I get into this relationship? I should have seen things more clearly when actually I think I flipped the script on that entirely. And I see now actually in many respects, that has been the greatest investment I have ever made in myself because he poked me continuously where it hurt. And that meant dragging any of my stuff into court. That meant just complete character annihilation wherever possible. It meant anything that I told him in secret about abuse in my childhood and all sorts of things. He just brought that out to anyone and everyone possible. So I think there was a lot that I could have chosen to sink under that pressure and stress and it Sometimes I did. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was there just screaming and crying and how is this happening? But I think I did seek out the support that I needed. I kept my heart open to love, which I just think is so, so key. You know, that was love of family, love of a new partner, learning love of myself too. And I think I'm just 10 times stronger. And it is, he sees it. You know, that was a beautiful thing. It was one about one month ago, we had to go to Geneva together to renew our son's passport. Well, in in reality, I could have gone myself, but it was easier to not fill in the additional documentation. So I decided to go with him. If somebody told me two years ago that I could have sat in the same room as him and not felt anxious, not felt belittled, not felt inferior to him in any possible way, I would not have believed them. But instead, I sat there and I felt strong. I felt resilient. I felt grounded, balanced. And I saw something in me that was entirely missing in him that I had never seen before. Because of course, I, that meant I also put him on a pedestal. I saw him as being strong and intelligent and all of these things. And I didn't see that in myself as much. But I think the real lesson I've learned is that he was the sly fox trying to hold me back. And I was the cheater just trying to break, trying to run free. And he was always there finding a way to keep me under him. And now I think that those chains have fallen and I am running and I am running ahead of him. And that was a, a strong feeling of pride, you know, it's like so fulfilling and nice to be able to say that after all of this hardship, like, wow, I'm actually, I'm really proud of how I fought when I'm not a fighter typically for a better life for me and a better life for my son. Which is, which is amazing. But I have to go back to this, this point, which piques my own anxiety, which is how do you, I, I mean, it's it's easy now, I think, to say keeping your heart open to love is important. How do you remotely begin to trust a new partner after what you have been through? I, I have to imagine it would, you like the, the cynicism would be rearing its head at every, every turn. Yeah. Every promise, every, every I love you, whatever. Yeah, completely. I mean, that came up so, so much. I think in my instance, like I said before, I knew David, so my current partner from a long time ago, and that helped. It wasn't meeting somebody completely unknown to me. I'd seen him and how he acted in his everyday life for quite some time. And I think while there was doubt or distrust that undoubtedly reared its head for me many a time, I, in contrast to my ex-partner, he followed through with every single thing he said. 
and that really built that foundation of trust there. You know, he said he would be there for me at this point and he did and, and so on and so forth. And I think that really helped to calm that. And he wasn't love bombing you. No. And you know, that was actually, no, that's a really good point. I'm glad you bring that up because I think in con- what, what I now know to be love is, is very different to what I had previously thought of it as being. And I was very attracted to this charismatic, adventurous, intelligent man who won me over within a couple of dates. We had fun banter and it was all very intense and steamy. And I thought that was a signal that something was right. And maybe in some respects it could be, but I think what I have experienced with my now current partner, who I found that my love for him and his love for me has deepened over time. It's And we keep, it's becoming more and more strong and more and more, even more and more tense in ways, but it didn't start like that. It was, it was tentative on both sides and it gradually happened. But I think that that actually has been better. I call that, and I'm not coining this phrase, I've heard this phrase, but I call that the mature love. Yeah. That it just takes time to get there. It takes shared experiences. It takes being at your most vulnerable or a very vulnerable situation in life in having that partner be there for you. And I'll, and I'll share this about me. When my mother was extremely ill, uh, terminally ill, and on her deathbed, literally, I could not believe the strength that my now fiancé had and did in supporting me when I was just trying to fucking hold it together, hold my take care of my clients, take care of my firm, take care of my son, take care of me when and take care of my mother and my, my elderly father and keep the family up to date on the latest fucking medical news. Like when you're just at your wits end and just totally raw and vulnerable and there's no even way you can put up a defense and they don't attack, they just support you. Like that's mature love. Right. And that's not love bombing. That's not bringing you flowers and let's go out to dinner. That's like, here's a hug. Yeah, I got dinner. Right. Two points. One, uh, I'll note in that whole list of people that you couldn't figure out how to take care of, I was not mentioned once. Um, well, so we, I, we have know, that to work on. Together, yeah, I guess. Pete, but the, <laughs> we, you know, every show we learn something about what's wrong with our relationship. Yeah. And, yeah. And, but, and, but I do want to say like you, you were talking about like how intense and steamy it was. And I just want to say for anybody listening, who's in a new relationship, once you hit that mature love stage and you, the, the longer you are together, the steamy stuff is that much better. So look forward to that. How long you been married uh, now, Pete? 23 years, baby, and going strong. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And it is every bit, it is so much better now than it was in year one. I can't even express uh, how good it is. And it can be anything you want to say. Like everything about our relationship has improved. And I think it's, I think it's because of that mature love. It's because we, we also did not have the the love bombing stage but also we knew each other in middle school like you talk about having a history before the the romance started like it's it, that that means something yeah to get to know someone without the intensity there shannon i'm going to come back to a question that is just gnawing at me because we talked about where you were when it was horrible and we talked about where you are now 
But how did you get there? Was it because you just did what you needed to do in court one step at a time and you got that order and that gave you this power? Did you feel it come back slowly? Was it a roller coaster? Because when you're in the middle of it or at the beginning of it, like you said, I would have not thought two years ago I could be in the same room with this guy. Like, how do you make the transition? How do you become your best self? I love that question because I think we often, I, I totally agree. We, we talk about the hard bit and then the, the champion ending that's so wonderful and actually the middle bit, the transition is, is the most difficult part when we often don't see our own progress, I think. I would say it was a roller coaster, probably, but always quite high. It felt like a very intense period because there was, and I'm, I'm really not exaggerating when I say there would be a new blow every week. I think I regularly wrote that down because I had to get to the point where I accepted that there would be something done against me, some new court filing, some refusal to comply with this and non-payment of something or, you know, it was endless and it was really every week. I knew that I needed to take it one step at a time. And that meant also for me having a counselor, a therapist with whom he had a focus on mindfulness. And I'm very much into that now in terms of present moment living and connecting to our emotions and how our body is actually feeling. Because I think I needed to release the emotion that I was feeling in order to be effective in court, in order to not react and to carefully respond to anything that was done. I needed to discharge of that emotional weight beforehand. And that meant often crying my eyes out with a counselor, feeling incredibly frustrated, going to like boxing classes. I was doing spinning. I was lifting weights. I needed something there to, for anger mainly because I was getting that anger and I wanted to get that out of me. Yeah. I'd say that those were two main things. And then also keeping an open line of communication with people who I'm, I'm close with as well, because I physically felt my heart closing. Yeah, it was like a physical thing. I can't do this. I can't do this. I want to push away. I want everyone to go away. I want to just be on my own right now. I, I don't trust anyone. What is happening to my life? And I think I needed to physically open that up and that would be on a regular basis. So that was the whole middle bit. And that would be the things that I'm just describing there with the external support, the exercise, making sure I'm taking care of my basic needs. That's often completely understated, like sleep enough. You know, I remember the first time somebody said meditation to me, I was like, I can't bloody meditate. What the hell? My mind is like racing a million and one miles an hour. Right. And they say, just think about your breathing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But I remember I started, I think I downloaded an app like Calm and I would do a 10 minute meditation to fall asleep at night, basically to not keep playing things over in my head or what I need to do or ruminating on something I could have done better or something that he has done or it would go on and on, but I needed to take care of that. Sleep enough, eat well, exercise. So important. Whew. What a ride. That's uh, what an experience. Shannon, thank you so much for sharing it. I, I have to just come back around to the fact that you are now in an absolutely exalted place. Uh, and uh, it's, it is just, it, it almost feels like uh, you got the the golden ticket. You went through an incredibly difficult thing and look where you landed. And she's got Swiss chocolate. We should be so lucky. And she's engaged. Chocolate. And I'm, wait yeah. I'm waiting for the save the date to hit our emails, Pete. 
Yeah, I know. Can't I know. wait. I, I'm kind of surprised it hasn't hit while we were recording because <laughs> I'm looking for a reason to come to Switzerland. So there you go. It's out there. Shannon, we know there's no bullshit on this show. You are fucking impressive. And we're so thrilled that you were uh, able to join us and talk to our listeners and share that um, horrible but uplifting and powerful journey that you've been through, um, especially the middle part. Because I think, like you said, people miss that. <laughs> and so thank you for doing that. It, it, it is just impressive. And we wish you all the happiness that is well earned and deserved. Thank you. I appreciate that a lot. And if my story can help people in any way, I, that's exactly what I hope to do. Because I think, I'd, I don't know if anyone's watching this, but I think my face is shining, you know, and I look at pictures of my face now, or how I am, and I compare that to where I was three years ago. And I'm like a different person. And I think it's so hard when you're facing your darkest of days that you you can't see the future there. You can't see where things are going. And I'm so glad I held through all of that difficult place because my life is immeasurably better and even better than I could have imagined. And that's the best bit about it. Beautiful. Well, let's tell the people where they can go find you. We will put links in the show notes to everything you tell us to do. Oh, that's very sweet. Thank you. Well, you can find me on Instagram at starting over with Shannon, also on TikTok. Uh, I can't believe I said TikTok, but yes, there we go. I'm giving it a go. <laughs> and other than that, my main venture is my podcast where I do weekly interviews. That's also called starting over with Shannon. So you can find that on Apple and Spotify and Google, but I would be thrilled to have you over there. <laughs> we will put all those in the show notes. Thank you so, so much, Shannon. It's been a real treat to meet you, to talk through your story. And uh, thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show. Don't forget, ask us questions. You can visit howtosplitatoaster.com, and there's a button right there. You push the button, and you can send us a question. We would love to hear your questions about divorce, even and especially high-conflict divorce. Again, howtosplitatoaster.com. On behalf of Shannon Jenkins and starting over with Shannon, I'm P. And the almost left me out there, P. I know. Well, you know what? We have issues. I know. Between I know we do. Clearly. (laughs) Uh, Seth Nelson, America's divorce attorney. How's that? Oh, Uh, hit me where it hurts. I did it. Mm -hmm. I'm Pete Wright. We'll see you next week right here on How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. Seth Nelson is an attorney with NLG Divorce and Family Law with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, how to split a toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of NLG Divorce and Family Law. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida.